Hi, this is Midwesteration, and I'm Freya Bernson. This week's interview features Dr. Helen Stusey and the work she and her husband have done to restore their private property that she calls the land. Her story of growing her land in both acreage and native habitat is inspiring to say the least. She and her husband's labor of love go well beyond their own borders as well, which you will hear about in the interview. My partner Alan and I hope to restore land on a larger scale ourselves one day. In fact, I'm sitting in our native urban rain garden as I edit this episode, trying to record this introduction between dueling lawnmowers. Alan was also intrigued by Helen's work, and she graciously allowed both of us to visit. So you'll hear his voice on this recording as well. Helen is amazing to listen to, so please enjoy. Great. Okay, I'm standing here with Helen Stucy at her personal property, um, and we are gonna take a walk around and, and look at what she's been working on. But um, if you don't mind, uh, would you wanna kind of introduce who you are and like what where where we are? All right. I'm Dr. Helen Stucy. Should I stand closer? Oh, yeah, you're perfect. I'm Dr. Helen Stucy. I'm here in Newcastle, Indiana, East Central Indiana, and we're on what we call the land. Um, it started out as uh, we kind of accidentally bought 12 acres, and then we purposely added eight to make a nice rectangle of 20 acres, um, which is a story in itself. And uh, we started restoring that property when my back neighbor um, decided, actually he was dying, and decided to sell his house with his 15 acres. And I called him up and said, Lynn, we don't want your house, we want the land. And he said, okay. And he went to the surveyor and surveyed out the house with three acres and we got the rest. Would that get us up to 30? 33, I think. And um, then just a year and a half ago, my north neighbor, who was going to build a huge house where she mowed the five acres of lawn and had five acres in the back of invasive species, and she told me she was going to sell her property as she started her five-hour mowing marathon, and I ran inside and called my financial advisor. I called my husband. I ran over and got her off the lawnmower and said, uh, we want to buy it, here's our offer. You can get off the mower this instant. I'll take care of all the paperwork, the survey, everything. And she said, yes. So we got to buy five acres of lawn and five acres of invasive species. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's a labor of love and we've learned a lot. Uh, when we first bought this place, we were totally plant blind we had no idea these rolling hills in the back were planted in alfalfa. Mm -hmm. We figured it was grass because we knew about grass and trees and some stuff in between. And we've learned a lot. Okay. All right. Well, would you like to, where, where would you like to start? <laughs> well, let's walk this way. Um, as I was just telling them, these trees we're looking at, how tall would you say these trees are, Freya? Oh, boy. 45 feet, probably? We're looking at a stand of 45 foot tall red oaks. These were planted, they were one of my first tree plantings by my daughter's second grade class. It was those little 
12 inch high oak trees. Um, I handed the second graders and I told them to put the roots down and the branches up <laughs> and they all survived. They, they did it right. <laughs> oh, well, and Alan well. there is looking at my little, so we have a color system in our house. Okay. Because my husband kept mowing down things I liked. Uh. Um, so he also loves to take care of the land. He does the big work, the mowing with the tractor and bush hog, the chainsaw. Mm -hmm. I know the plants better, mm -hmm. and we're not always together. So I said, Tom, I've got pink and blue here. Mm -hmm. You tell me what speaks to you. And he said, blue is bad. Okay. So if you see something blue, that means it's bad. And if you see something pink, it's perfect. Nice. I but like that. <laughs> do you know what you're looking at here? Is that uh, Star of Bethlehem? Star of Bethlehem. Oh, my gosh. Um, is that right? <laughs> yes, it is right. Um, up here, if you look over here, you see a large area um, where you see these flags. See that large mulched area past the house? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't normally make a mulch sea like that. But that area, which I'm guessing was 30 by 20 or something, mm -hmm. was a solid bed of Star of Bethlehem. Oh, wow. Two years ago. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a lot of work to get rid of. And I called Jake Gamble. He suggested I weed whack it, I spray it with Roundup, which isn't supposed to work, wait two weeks, and then dig it up. Mm, okay. um, so I did that. Uh, the following year... It didn't seem as dense, but it had spread its borders out, mm -hmm. dug it all up last year, and I have two SOBs in there this year. Nice. But they have, again, scattered out, like mm -hmm. here. When I read the literature, it says that they move with water, mm. but water would not explain it getting... I think chipmunks yeah. are doing it. That's, that makes a lot more sense. The, the pattern I see is more like a critter is digging uh -huh. them up and carrying them. So, yeah. yeah, last year I dug up 150 trash bags of Star of Bethlehem. Oh, my goodness. So wow. let's, let's walk this way. We'll go outside the dog pen. This area north of the house. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with it. I've got prairie there. So was I just going to pull prairie closer to the house? But here's my logic. Across the street, my neighbor has a wonderful woodland. It's very hilly and goes down to the river, so it was mm. never plowed. Mm -hmm. Big oak trees. And I want more oak trees. Mm -hmm. And I read the research that said the blue jays plant the oak trees better than I do. <laughs> so... We actually feed peanuts to the blue jays, and I'm going to make this a woods and connect it then with my woods because they don't like flying over an open field mm -hmm. and hoping that the blue jays will take her acorns and plant them in my woods for me. Nice. That's the strategy. <laughs> <laughs> this is, um, we call this the front prairie, and it, we mowed it this last year. Um, we have a non-system for mowing and um, burning. It's kind of um, what it feels like. I actually, when I 
um, retired two years ago, I went and visited prairies around uh, Indiana. The best prairie, I mean, Fisher Oak Savannah is beautiful, uh, Prophetstown, but Huffman Prairie over in Ohio okay. at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is actually a remnant prairie. Mm. And I, it's such a cute story. This, I think he was a graduate student doing some botany research and he was out in that area and the mower got sick that week and hadn't mowed and this student recognized big blue stem mm -hmm. and said, wow, started doing research studying it and they found this had been a remnant prairie to my own logic back in the Wright Brothers day what a great airfield space where you don't have a bunch of trees in the way mm -hmm. so they have restored that prairie and when I went out there I actually got that man the graduate student who had then spent his next 30 years restoring that prairie mm -hmm. he walked me around and gave me wonderful advice one of them was strategic mowing that one thing you don't want your prairie to do, I don't want my prairie to do, is be a solid stand of just grasses. Mm -hmm. um, oh, wait, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> it's the brambles. Um, we tend to get an influx of brambles, and he said, you mow your brambles Memorial Day. The botanical reason is that's when they put out all their energy to flower, but haven't yet gone to seed. Mm -hmm. But for a human, Memorial Day is a good memory. Um, and the other thing is, again, even though they're native, you can get a solid stand of Canada goldenrod. Mm -hmm. And you don't mind having some goldenrod, but you don't want those solid stands because they start turning your prairie more into woods. Mm -hmm. um, so he says you mow those Labor Day, okay. which is the same logic. They've put their energy into their flowering. They haven't gone to seed yet. Mm -hmm but I have this now Memorial Day, Labor Day logic. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're, it's, we're trying that. Another thing we love to do is raise bluebirds. Oh, nice. So if you wait right here. So cute. <laughs> Baby bluebirds, they're about a day old. Yeah, we love raising the bluebirds. That's awesome. And that nesting box is so nice because we can see it from our dining room window. So there at the garage, you can see that second, that last 10 acres we added. The, the lawn area we killed and had Ecologic plant a new prairie. Hmm. I thought about planting it myself, but I needed, I felt like I needed their expertise because I wanted to take out of any mix the big blue stem, the yellow cone flowers, because I've already got those and they're already going to wander over mm -hmm. there. So I needed a a good mix that could survive on its own, but accept the flow of mm -hmm. the more aggressive species from my current prairie. Yeah. We'll hey. see how it goes. <laughs>
And when was when did you have them plant that? Um, just this last winter. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, these oaks were interesting. My husband had this vision of an oak-lined second driveway here. Um, and you know he didn't plant them too much after those trees that the second graders planted, but his trees didn't grow. And it took us a while to figure why. And it was because, I believe, um, they were growing in the middle of the prairie. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the oak trees could compete with those prairie roots. Mm. I would have preferred just to have prairie. Tom wanted oaks. So we ended up mowing a strip between prairie and oaks. We mulched the oaks together so they could kind of talk to each other and help each other out. And they're doing much better. <laughs> So, yes, this is the walk up to what we call the main woods. And so this was an interesting woods. Going back 27 years ago, we bought this property. I knew nothing. I'll say that in my... I uh, wrote in my journal, oh, we bought these woods. They're so beautiful. They're absolutely full of this beautiful woodland wildflower, <laughs> about knee-high, tiny little flower. Smells kind of garlicky. <laughs> I didn't actually write smells kind of garlicky, but you get the point. I thought it was beautiful. I knew nothing about garlic mustard. I don't remember the first person that told me um, about garlic mustard and invasive species. Mm -hmm. But I do know that for the next several years, my kids, I had four at that point, knew after school in April and May, they and their friends would come over, they'd all get a bucket, they'd all pull a bucket of garlic mustard, and they'd all get a Dairy Queen. <laughs> and so this is the main woods. We have north and south. And you'll notice the deer fence. Mm -hmm. And this has been an ongoing experience. We hired a contractor to fence this in to keep the deer out. He put up these big pylons and this plastic fence that immediately started to fall down and the deer laughed at it and it was worthless uh -huh. and it was ugly. So then I happened to be on YouTube learning about deer fences. And I read about this. Huh. You put T-posts in the ground about every six foot, and you run 30-pound fishing line, ideally at five foot, three foot, and foot and a half. Mm -hmm. My experience is if you don't have time to do it all, five foot is your biggest. Uh, and, and the logic of it is the deer are walking along. They can't see it. You don't mm -hmm. want to put flags on it. They don't see it. They bump into it. They're confused. They just walk the other way. Huh. So uh, last April, just as the trillium were coming up, I was calling my college-age son saying, come put these T-posts in the ground. So he put T-posts all around this section of the woods, and I ran the fishing line, and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um I occasionally a deer will break through, but I don't get this stampede mm -hmm. of deer that you will see over. That's our control group over there. Mm. Okay. Um, 
we we still didn't he didn't go through the trouble of taking down some of the old deer fence mm -hmm. he put flags on there which i told him was silly but so far they seem to be holding off um we we certainly we walk this every day and look for deer hoof prints and if we see them we search out you know how the how they got in um this is kind of my experiment area in general if i have a new plant um, I'll plant it right here because it's where I would see it every day and see how it's doing. Mm -hmm. White trillium, um, uvularia, uh, that's supposed to be a red trillium, blue cohosh. So, um, yeah, the only way I learn a plant is for it to grow. But you've got to look at this and imagine this was a sea of garlic mustard. Yeah. That's and <laughs> beautiful now. It's a, now a sea of spring beauties with the, the cut leaf toothwort have kind of gone out to seed. We've got the trout lilies. We've got the bluebells. We've got the flocks. Yeah, it's really pretty. Yeah. Ramps. Um, Dutchman's breeches, they took a while. Um, my logic. So I got one from Barry Banks and planted it. Mm -hmm. And it came back year after year, but it didn't spread for about 10 years oh, wow. and then it started spreading and my thought is we finally got a female bumblebee mm. and so now my uh, Dutchman's breeches are starting to spread you can hear the birds they like it here yeah. and the bluebells I did plant a twin leaf there boy he's struggling but I have a nice batch of twin leaf. Can you see them oh, right yeah. here? I have a really nice batch of them back on the backwoods. Which is interesting. One thing, um, as I put different properties together, um, particularly that back section that I got from Lynn, is one side of it had been plowed and had soybeans the other side of it had actually been a mulberry plantation mm -hmm. white mulberry it had 300 mature mulberry trees wow. <laughs> but my best native plants i have found there are right on the fence line between the property edges mm -hmm. and i just kind of figured those were left alone as the one guy was plowing the other guy was planting mulberries and so on that edge, I find my twin leaf, I find a purple crest, I find my jack in the pulpit. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Oh, there's a burning bush. Blue is bad. <laughs> so let's, we're going to go cross country here. Try not to hurt too many of my May apples. Solomon seal. deer fence. Okay. My husband put this up nine years ago. Look <laughs> at those trilliums. Wow. It's not only a nice batch of trilliums, but they are easily twice as tall yeah. as the other trilliums out in my woods. Um, maybe three times. I never knew trilliums could get so tall until yeah. we put up this deer fence. The other thing that happened with the deer fence is we got saplings <laughs> and if you look around the rest of the woods you don't it now the saplings for some reason actually do get a downstream effect hmm. so like the deer just kind of stayed away from this general area mm -hmm. 
So we have more saplings close to the deer fence. The trillium really is pretty concentrated inside the deer fence. Yeah. But that's what impressed us that keeping the deer excluded from the woods was going to make such a big difference. Yeah. I've heard um, trilliums described as basically like cotton candy to deer. Like, they just... They, just they do. Yeah. I mean, you just... I would see all these stems just bitten off. Mm -hmm. I've also seen them bite off um, flocks mm -hmm. and shooting stars. Mm. So... Um, and and my husband is very soft-hearted and would not allow any hunting. Uh -huh. So, you know, that uh, tool is out of our hands. Uh -huh. May I take a picture of your trillium back Oh, here? sure. Go ahead and take a picture of my amazing. trillium. <laughs> I do, too. I, I love showing this to people. I don't know how well that will show up, but I just think that's, like, just that evidence that, like, you just, the deer, yeah, like it's, just, they're the problem. <laughs> seeing it is so much. You can say it intellectually, but uh -huh. to physically see that difference and to look at the contrast from there to out here, mm -hmm. and especially beyond where you don't even have tree saplings. Um, the other thing that's cotton candy to deer is baby oaks. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, they just love to chomp the tops of baby oak trees. So that's the other thing. I'm really making strong efforts to. Uh, so over there you'll see what will be new prairie. Um, in the meantime here, yeah, we have trees but no saplings. But mm -hmm. I'm hoping with time and having this new deer fence um, mm -hmm. experience, this woods will get healthier. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a doctor, and so I think a lot as I'm doing restoration in terms of health. Uh -huh. And and you think of that biological balance of a healthy body is much like what you see in a woods. And I know as I help one species, it affects everything. Mm -hmm. um, I've really gotten into the coefficient of conservatism. Mm -hmm. And so as I went back and forth in here looking for garlic mustard this year, I did find one bag's worth in this whole woods. And I can now see, boy, I'm in a better area. I'm in four, five, sixes as opposed to I'm here with the spring beauties and the violets. Mm -hmm. And so I'm learning to see the areas that are healthier than the other areas. Nice. So that's been a great experience. Yellow violets. Oh, cool. There's my one oak tree seedling. <laughs> <laughs> we have not tried burning the woods. Mm -hmm. um, we love burning the prairie. Mm -hmm. We do that a lot. Uh, Tom burns stick piles. And I expect at some point we'll try burning the woods. I had read that the four things to restore woods was removing invasive species, which we've done, uh, controlling the deer, seeding it mm -hmm. and um, burning it and we haven't gotten to the burning yet I used to so for 27 years 25 years I planted I got those DNR trees and I would plant at least a hundred um, sometimes over 300 every year mm. so I did a lot of tree planting a lot with school groups uh, a lot by myself and over the last few years, I've kind of, April, May is awfully busy. Mm -hmm. 
and I've realized my priority of time, number one, if I don't plant trees, they can get here mm -hmm. because the blue jays, the squirrels can bring in the nut trees and the maple trees can fly in on the wind. Mm -hmm. Who can't get here are the trilliums. Oh. They're carried by an ant. So they can go inches, and if there hits a road, it's basically never going to make it here. Mm -hmm. So I'm segueing more to really working on my herbaceous layer. Mm -hmm. I was reading, and that's where your biodiversity is. They were saying that for every one tree species, you probably have six herbaceous species. Mm -hmm. And of course, with each herbaceous species, you bring their own raft of insects, which helps support their own raft of birds and butterflies and bees and all that wonderful stuff. Uh, the other thing is if I have X number of hours and I put it into planting trees and I don't get my invasive species out of here this year, mm -hmm. that's not the best use of my time. I've gotta get rid of the invasive plants. And if I get rid of all of my invasive plants, I'm sure all your listeners know this experience, mm -hmm. you get rid of all your invasive plants they're all going to come back if your neighbors aren't doing it. Mm -hmm. So I've really gotten involved in this SISMA movement. Mm -hmm. I know John Taylor mentioned it mm -hmm. on your podcast. Brainchild of Don Slack and the Southern Indiana Conservative Invasive Management Team. And unique in the United States. Mm -hmm. That instead of having the government, the Nature Conservancy, come in and control that we have to get rid of invasive plants with big is to engage the citizens. Mm -hmm. And they got a grant to have these regional experts who know their plants, but their real job is to help grow each county having their own sisma to fight invasive plants. And uh, our regional expert is Liz Yetter. We've got, we're called HC RIPS, mm -hmm. which is Henry County Removes Invasive Plant Species. Mm -hmm. You'll notice a lot of them actually rhyme with ips. You've got hips and rips and dips. Um, and that's been a great experience. In fact, this last winter, um, I posted on Facebook that I had gotten rid of all my bush honeysuckle and didn't have anything to do this winter, so was there any neighbor that needed help? And somebody told me Westwood Park needed an intervention. So I said, take me there. And so the next day she took me out to Westwood Park, only three miles from here, but I hadn't been there in 30 years. Mm -hmm. And my eyes got big. I mean, it was a wall of solid honeysuckle, uh -huh. I, even with no leaves on. Mm -hmm. um, and my eyes also got big because that's what I love to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, the next day morning, I went to talk to the park director, Jan Kreider, and said, we'd like to remove your invasive plants. We'll work January and February every day. We'll bring the manpower, the tools, the herbicide. You've got to get rid of the sticks. Mm -hmm. I don't think he conceived when his woods is 95% honeysuckle, <laughs> we've got to haul the sticks out, otherwise we're going to be tripping over them yeah. and won't be able to see what we're doing. And so we ended up working out there for 104 days in a row. Wow. Um, we were out there when it was 10 degrees. We were out there when there was a foot of snow. And we were partly out there because we enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, we know we're doing good. Mm -hmm. We're getting fresh air and exercise. Um, and I'd expect in that four months 
it really was mostly just Tom and me. We had some other volunteers. Ken was a really good volunteer. But mostly January and February, it was Tom, me, and Ken. Come March and April, a few more people <laughs> came out to help. But we cleared probably about an acre a month. And Westwood Park is 800 acres. So you start doing the math and don't know if I'm going to live long enough. But two things we did. One was that um, we made our volunteer time. Part of the everyday thing was we told people we would be there every day from 3 to 5. Mm -hmm. So if they wanted to volunteer or even just come learn what we were doing, they didn't need to sign a form. They didn't need to call us. They could just show up and they knew we would be there. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing was we prioritized talking to people. And this was, we weren't talking to the choir. We were talking to the dog walkers and the cross-country skiers <laughs> and the fishermen and the hikers. And they would just stop. And also talking in that setting was much more, it's kind of like seeing the trillium mm -hmm. when you can see it. Um, it. It makes so much more of an impact. And before and after pictures, all you had to do was you could draw a line and see to the right were the areas we'd cleared and to the left was bush honeysuckle. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we got to spread that education so much more. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of us are going to solve invasive species without that kind of... Here's my... So what we did was a drop in the bucket. Mm -hmm. But a drop can cause ripples mm -hmm. and ripples can cause waves and waves can cause a tsunami. And that's what we need. So... We're going to keep dropping in our bucket. That was my point. I like that. <laughs> Any questions? I'm just babbling on. No, I love it. Uh, <laughs> Osage Orange. We're trying to get rid of him. <laughs> Boy, he's tough to get rid oh, of. Oh, wow. Yeah. We did find a guy. Pretty cool. He drove out here from California oh, wow. to cut down my neighbor's Osage Oranges. She has a ton. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he cut them down for free. And he uses them to make archery bows. Huh. It's wonderful wood for archery bows. It's got good memory. Mm -hmm. And that orange wood, and it, just beautiful. So um, that was an interesting experience. Yeah. There's our ramp. I hear our towie screeching over there. <laughs> yes, I hear you. Our one big old oak tree. He's been hit by lightning. He's had a tough life. Yeah, he's still hanging on there. Yeah, wow. this is so common around here that you'll find an area that was pastured. This they ran hogs here, mm. and they very often left a single tree, often an oak, for shade. Mm -hmm. And so you'll have a very young woods and one older oak tree. There you can see some of my Dutchmen over there. Oh, nice. And of course, blood roots. Bluebells. I love the bluebells. Not sure who that was. Fly through. Uh, we just uh, yesterday had a red-headed woodpecker come four oh, times. Nice. We don't see them very often. That's kind of who that looked like that flew by. It could have been. Um, lots of baby ash trees. <laughs> Wish the poor guys luck. Yeah. And 
we've got our little creek down here. Here is the best place to look for hoof prints because it's damp even when everything else is hard. Here we have our uh, glacial erratic. Oh, nice. That obviously the farmer was clearing them from the field and put them all in this creek along mm -hmm. with some of his concrete. Mm -hmm. And here's the exit to the deer fence. That's the swale over there near Allen, kind of the low wet area where the water likes to flow. This tree planting was my son's second or third grade class. Uh, it did not grow as strongly as the others. I don't know if it was because of the deer pressure or mm. because being on a slope the soil wasn't as um, rich, but it's getting by. Everywhere we don't mow we get black walnuts. Uh, mm -hmm. black cherries and we're walking out now to the main prairie which of course now is just uh, brown grasses but if you come out here in the summer it is just amazing it is yellows and purples and whites and so full of butterflies and birds I do a lot of prairie tours, mm -hmm. um, especially I did not do much during Sisma, Sisma during um, COVID. Uh -huh. But um, the year before, I was offering prairie tours, and this one lady came out because she was making a movie. And uh, right up here, they filmed this young lady in a white dress. And she walked out to the prairie out here and she flung her arms out and spun around. And the three guys with cameras surrounded her, shooting her from every angle. And I thought that was cool. And then they filmed another scene over there. And that was when I realized what they were representing with that girl with the white dress in the middle of my prairie. This was a girl who had died in the story. And that was their vision of heaven. Oh, wow. So this is cool because, oh look, my, my violas, viola pedata, that was a new experiment of mine. Neat. They're blooming. Um, so this is, I love how the prairie just has variation with the micro, uh, microclimates and things. This faces to the south. And so what we tend to get is this uh, lower grasses. We get a lot of little blue stem and then you look beyond and you see all the big blue stem in the Indian grass. Mm -hmm. um, after having this prairie, I mean, it's 20 years old now. And just this last year, we got these little gentians. Oh, cool. Uh, purple gentiana, I think they're called. So this was planted by Spence Nursery, Kevin Tungsvik. Mm -hmm. um, again, we didn't even know this was alfalfa. We hate it for a few years. I started reading about landscaping for wildlife. So we started calling around saying we want to put some into prairie, which we thought was crazy. Mm -hmm. And so what we did, we took that back five acres and killed off the alfalfa and had Spence put it into prairie. And we were so thrilled with it the next year we said just do the rest of the field. 
and then back there is the back prairie that we got from Lynn. So two years ago, when I got retired rather abruptly, I got I decided I wanted to learn about our prairies. They had pretty much lived by neglect for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I read this article that said, a made prairie typically has about 30 species and a natural prairie has 200 to 300. Mm -hmm. Well, I figured I had more than 30. Mm -hmm. So I started in the summer at, up at the front prairie and I walked back four feet over, across, four feet over, across, back and forth and back and forth, um, noting what species I saw. And I was carrying my two-gallon sprayer with triclopyr in it, mm -hmm. and if I saw a bad guy, I spritzed it. Mm -hmm. And my four bad guys were Canada thistle, parsnip, teasel, curly dock. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and as I wanted to get past 30, I realized I needed to learn Latin because I couldn't just say black-eyed Susan. Mm -hmm. I had to say Rudbeckia herta, Rudbeckia submentosa, or Rudbeckia, whatever the third one is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I get triloba. Right, yeah. Okay, yeah. so to get up past 30, I had to learn my Latin. So I did that, and it was very interesting. So I go back and forth up there, and I kind of see how good that prairie is. I do it up here. Boy, this took a long time. Then I get to the back prairie. Now the back prairie is the most uh, neglected. Mm. Uh, we put it in when, I mean, number one, the house and all our activity was up at the front. This was very far in the back. We didn't own a gator. Um, so we, and I think we had them put in a cheaper seed mix that had less flowers. Mm. So I go up and down and up and down in that and it's all grasses and some spider wart mm -hmm. and not one single parsnip, thistle, huh. teasel, or curly dock. <laughs> and then I read later that the grasses keep down the invaders better, mm -hmm. particularly those four. So I've been talking a lot to people out here in the countryside. A lot of them have five acres and don't know what to do with it. They're mm -hmm. tired of mowing five acres. They say it's too big to mow, too little to plow. So I'm encouraging them to put it in prairie, and when they talk to me and say, yes, they want to do that, I start talking to them about the prairie mix, because I say, if all you want is easy management, if that's a higher priority, mm -hmm. go heavy on the grasses. Mm -hmm. If what you want to do is help your monarch butterflies, then you go heavy on the forbs. Mm -hmm. And um, had a lot of interest in that. It's been really interesting. That's great. And of course, when I bring them out here and do a tour, everybody thinks it's beautiful. So <laughs> that really helps. Uh, it's different every year. Of course, the first year it's black-eyed Susans. The second year, more bee balm and purple coneflower. We, uh, around year 10 or so, we started getting our prairie docks and compass plants, our more conservative species. Mm -hmm. And um, last year, so this prairie's been in for about 25 years, and we used to have like maybe a couple of dozen compass plants. Mm -hmm. Last year we had a hundred. Wow. They just, big section there, big section there, and big section back there. And from my reading, I read one article that said they live 50 years. Mm -hmm. And then I read another article that said they live 100 years. So I'm gonna have compass plants the rest of my life. 
you want to keep walking or ask questions? What do you want to do? You are answering basically everywhere I, I, I want to go with, with things, <laughs> so I love just listening to you. Um, yeah, no, this is this is fantastic. Um, Alan, what have you thought of while you've been listening well, and shadowing around? <laughs> I mean, the, the good, like the, the whole thing about the grasses is, uh, that's a really, because, you know, we've got a little chunk that we're trying to maybe do something with too, and like, how do you do that? And if you want to start with grasses, that might be the way to go. If you want to do it on a budget, it seems like a, a thoughtful way of going about it and trying to keep out the invasives, because that seems to be the biggest. Yeah. And up, up where we're at, like... The honeysuckle is, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, when you drive around it, it's, oh, it's so yeah. overpowering when you see it. It's nuts, so. In my experience working at Westwood, um, your, your normal person, uh, driving around the Indiana landscape, the person I was 30 years ago, uh, actually thinks it's pretty. It's mm-hmm. green, it's natural. And I remember Dr. Amy Carter, she came out and volunteered with us one day, and she said, Helen, now that I've seen it, I can never unsee it. <laughs> you know, everywhere she sees the honeysuckle. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You've got to see the problem before you can do something about it. Yeah. One warning about putting your prairie in grasses is that once you've got a solid stand of grasses, it's really hard to then add in the flowers. Mm-hmm which is what we're trying to do in our back prairie now, getting on a stronger regime of, of burning and trying to overseed with flowers. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about that with those oak trees that you planted along that row. How how many years were between that first planting and the second planting along the row? Because those trees are 15 feet tall at the most. You know what? We, we didn't document the time of Tom's uh, driveway planting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking... I thought it was just a five, six year difference. Somebody else tells me it's a 10 year difference, but the difference in the size of the trees is three times yeah. at least. Yeah, you and would. the ones done by the second graders are making acorns, which is one of my measures of when we're getting sustainable. And mm-hmm. yeah, don't try and plant oak trees in the middle of a prairie is my experience. <laughs> well, the other thing was is um, the, the guy from Muncie that you interviewed. Jake or John Taylor? don't remember and I don't I'm really not good with names <laughs> okay. but he was talking about doing sections where they tilled and then planting um, species in a tilled area like in a prairie mm-hmm. uh, yeah I believe so to where like to introduce more variety into it yeah which is kind of what I try to do with these little prairie violets that I just planted last year I can't believe they're blooming um, so it was interesting. So this guy, David Nolan, that walked me around the Huffman Prairie, that's the one at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, mm-hmm. had tried it all. And his experience with planting, like plug planting or tilling it, he said, not as effective as seeding. Mm-hmm. He just had not found that to be very effective in his experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the other thing is, from my woodland, certainly, I have learned the lesson um, I don't want to disturb the soil because mm-hmm. where I have that good woods that doesn't have any garlic mustard or honeysuckle, when I do find some, it's where either a deer hoof print or even a branch scraping the ground. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It just so consistently when I find an unusual springing up of honeysuckle or garlic mustard, it's where something scraped the ground and disturbed the soil. 
In my backwoods, I was trying to plant trees to start to get some oaks growing in there. I wasn't going to leave it all up to the blue jays. Mm -hmm. And where I dug my hole to plant the tree sprouted up garlic mustard. Mm -hmm. I I guess I haven't had quite that experience in the prairie because I don't tend to disturb the soil in the prairie, but I am really leery of soil disturbance. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, do you see off there in the distance, see the kind of lump? Yeah. Actually, we call those the lumps. So we live in a farmhouse that we renovated in 2012, and when they dug out the new basement, they had this dump truck of subsoil. Mm-hmm. And they said, and, and the, the landfill was closed. <laughs> and they said, Dr. Stussy, show us a low area, we'll fill it in. And I said, I don't like flatland. I don't want to take my low area and raise it. Let's find a high area and make that higher. So Uh I took them back there. They dumped the subsoil, and I spread prairie seeds on it. Mm -hmm. Now, the really cool thing about it is that I have plants growing there that are unique to my entire prairie habitat. I think part of it, I think they're species that like drier, like I'm getting my butterfly weed. I'm getting my um, clovers, my white and my purple clover, prairie clovers, Mm -hmm. white gentian. Mm. So both, maybe it's that they don't have quite the competition of here where you've got all the big blue stem and Indian grass, Mm -hmm. or partly that it's a drier habitat. But those lumps are wonderful. And they kind of got planted by accident. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think, like, what was the, the, the click that made you decide that this was what you wanted to do with your land like what what inspired this dedication <laughs> to to restoring and, and well if you've got a minute how are we doing on time oh you're fine okay yeah. <laughs> so let me tell you how we bought this land by accident um it was march 20th um I had three little girls, ages six, four, and three, and I was pregnant with my little boy, nine months pregnant with my little boy, and my husband, Tom, played golf, which is, I guess, what men do. Um, he came home, and he said, hey, I played golf with Jack Lee, and he ha- he's doing real estate, and he has some land in the country that he'd like us to look at. So I got a babysitter, and we came out here, and he showed us the 12 acres. Didn't include the woods, but came around this way. And um, we thought it was beautiful. Rolling, we probably thought it was planted in grass, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And we said, okay, Jack, uh, we'll think about it. And he said, no, you won't. He said, I have three other people want to buy this property. If you want to buy it, you need to put a bid on it right now. Mm. And I said, Jack. I don't buy shoes that fast. (laughs) But we agreed to go to his office. We talked. We had thought about moving out to the country sometime. And we figured, hey, if we don't like it, we can just turn around and sell it again. Obviously, it's popular. So we went ahead and put in a low bid. And we went home. And we fed the kids. And we put them to bed. And we got a phone call that night. They'd accepted our offer. (laughs) We woke up that morning not even thinking about land. And... We went to bed that night as landowners. So we had this land, didn't really know what to do with it. Um, I brought out a landscaper, and one thing he said is you should plant trees along that border because you never know what your neighbor's going to do that you don't want to see. So he told me about how to get the DNR trees. Mm -hmm. 
and it was probably about a year later that I was sitting out on that south border by myself. I'd gotten a babysitter and I was planting a tree and I just remember sitting back and feeling the sun on my back and the birds were singing and I had this little tree I had just planted and I said this is the world I want to give my kids. It was really about being a mother mm -hmm. and um, yeah so that really was the start and it just built from there and so now we have this beautiful property of 43 acres and we're helping Westwood with their 800 and trying to get the word out. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's wonderful that it's <laughs> just spiraled out of control like that. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have called it quite out of control, but it definitely was a spiral. Yeah, I know. It built. Just, just kidding. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is beautiful and, uh, really really neat to to see because as as you said in our previous correspondences like you know you are just you're a property owner and you're doing this on your own and mm -hmm. I think that's that's fantastic and um I know there are other people out there uh doing that but you know you you don't hear about it ever and so you know just thank you for and <laughs> I think uh you read Doug Tallamy mm -hmm. and his idea of the homegrown national park and so many people have land that they're, um, you know, taking care of lawn. They don't maybe know what to do with with all this land. I just think, you know, this this can help the world. Mm -hmm. You know, this is more than just what it does in Newcastle, Indiana. This is what it does for Indiana, for the eastern United States, for the world. Mm -hmm. The whole species extinction is not just a worldwide event. It's right here at home. Yeah. And every little bit of habitat, oh my gosh, at Westwood, boy, the last few weeks, because uh, we kind of knew we were winding down for the season, because I needed to get back here and get my garlic mustard, and I would go down the paths, and I would just see some trout lily suffocated by the honeysuckle, and I said, I have to clear that area, and oh, the Solomon seal, I need to protect that area, and uh, every little bit we do helps, mm -hmm. and especially if it inspiration education demonstration yes that's kind of my philosophy and I think inspiration has to come first because mm -hmm. if you don't inspire people the education won't sink in mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and uh, now your approach at like just involving people and and the dedication offering that opportunity for people to come join you and stuff that those are those are the things that we need and uh, people you know without without the opportunity to just get exposed to it you know where where do we start right and I love as I say reaching people who would never think of themselves as an environmentalist mm -hmm. or a restorationist but the year two years ago when we didn't have COVID and we were just out on Facebook saying anybody want to come see Prairie we had the people making a movie we had artists coming out here mm -hmm. down there in the low part we had three women, and one was doing watercolors, and one was doing oils, and one was doing pastels of the same area. Um, you know, I love getting, we had Special Olympics come out here and do a tour. I love reaching people outside of the choir mm -hmm. and exposing them to how beautiful this is in so many layers, in so many rich levels. It's not just the flowers and the grasses, it's the birds, it's the butterflies, it's the bees in August down there in the middle 
if you stand there in the middle of the day and you close your eyes, your chest thrums with the sound of all the bees around you. Mm. And the harmony, with your eyes closed, you know you have many different bee species because they all hum or buzz at a different uh, pitch, a different frequency. You're just surrounded by this symphony of bees. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Tree swallows, they love, they love our bluebird houses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, back here, they take about half the houses, but we're okay with that. What do you have marked over there in those pink flags? Oh, reed canary grass. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> so I didn't have blue flags for there, mm -hmm. so the pink does mean bad. Yeah, a reed canary is one of my bad guys. Um, actually, I was just, I'm working right now on the main wood south, and I came across a privet and Japanese barberry. Mm. So um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting more adept at recognizing all my different invasive species. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I have trouble with that, ha, I just happen to have <laughs> the shirt that would help me. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> so you might need to tell them what my shirt says. Yes, her shirt is most, wanted, most unwanted invasive plants with pictures of garlic mustard Asian bush honeysuckle and calorie pear on there, along with a few others that are listed. That's from the Sikkim group there. And uh, do you mind if I take a picture of the back of your shirt? Awesome. Okay, yeah. A little chilly to go around in my t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I see Alan's looking at our choke cherry. That was a present from my husband. It's beautiful. It's just full of panicled white flowers right now. The birds really like it. Chokecherry is a native plant. That, unfortunately, is one that was manipulated by the landscapers and has purple leaves in the summer that look really out of place to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And my husband was so proud of himself, so he bought me that one, and then he bought me the one down there and the one over there. And the one over there, and finally somebody told him that Helen doesn't really like them that much. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to take them down, but uh, yeah, I'd much rather have a natural-looking choke cherry. Mm -hmm. But that, that is pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful tree. And yeah, if uh, if folks wanted to um, contact you to uh, see your prairie. What would be the, the best way? Email is the best way. Okay. You can do the link. It's hstussy, S-T-E-U-S-S-Y, at comcast.net. And, yeah, that, or go on my Facebook page. It's public. I show people what I do. And uh, so Helen Stussy on Facebook or our group HC Rips specifically if they're interested in our work on invasive plants. Nice. I posted about every day of the 104 days out there, the freezing rain day, <laughs> the foot of snow. Our stumps that day were 12 inches high because we were cutting at snow level. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you go back in and you're like, what What did we do here? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. But, you know, we were charging ahead. We didn't want to go back and recut those because yeah. we had more leading up. Yeah. They they said my husband was a bit of a trophy hunter. He just wanted the next biggest autumn olive. <laughs> he just loved cutting down those big autumn olives. That's awesome. Well, Helen, is there anything else you'd like to add to? Oh, I can't think of anything. 
That, I call that pine tree ghost. Um, <laughs> he was the first one that Tom mowed down. Oh. Uh, we had planted, this was one of our first plantings. So TJ, my son, was in his stroller when we planted spruces here. I did not understand native plants, non-natives at the time. And we planted this white pine and Tom mowed it over and I got mad at him. <laughs> and um, But about four years later, I saw it coming back. So it got named huh. Ghost. Wow. And if you look at that stand of white pines down there mm -hmm. that are huge and full, and they were planted just a few years after ghosts. Huh. Of course, they were not mowed down. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I've always wondered why did they grow so healthy and he didn't. Mm -hmm. My theory was looking at the soil. Mm -hmm. You know, again, this is on a slope, so I figured the soil is not as rich. Someone else told me white pines don't really like being wind beaten, which mm. this one is up on the hill, those down there or in a sheltered place. Mm -hmm. Also, when I planted those, and they were four feet tall when I planted them, I brought my district forester out, Jason Waterman. Mm -hmm. I really like Jason. Mm -hmm. And um, he looked at my four foot pine trees and said, well, you just planted a deer feast. He said they eat the top candle off and then they never grow any taller. They said, I'll tell you what to do. You go to the Steve Alford Inn had to be the Steve Alford Inn. And you get their little soap bars that they're throwing away, mm. and you get those, and you rub those on the treetops, you scrape flakes of them on the tree, you leave those on the trees, and the deer don't like the smell of the soap. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Every tree lived. They're huge. They're beautiful. But I don't plant white pines anymore because they're not native to Henry County. <laughs> but I'm not going to cut them down. Yeah. It's definitely been evolution, mm -hmm. uh, you know, having done this work for now 27 years, and um, I've changed a lot over the 27 years. I've learned a lot. Mm -hmm. I've made mistakes, um, but always the trajectory has been to making this place richer for wildlife, more beautiful for wildlife and for people, mm -hmm. and sharing it. Yeah, this is this is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today and uh, letting us come come to your your home and see see what you've done to to make it beautiful. Glad to share it. Tell your friends to come out here. Uh, end of July, first of August is really when the prairie is the most magnificent. Will do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Huge thank you again to Dr. Helen Stucy. If you want to reach out to her, she has provided her email, which you can find in the show description and at midwestoration.com. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app, and please stay tuned for more Midwestoration.